Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. First things first, good morning, Christ Community Church. Ah, oh, come on, come on, come on. Didn't you see Kentucky won yesterday in overtime? It's a great weekend. Come on. Good morning, Christ Community Church. There we go. Much gooder. All right. A um, couple things uh, before we get going. The first is this. Um, for uh, I don't know if you knew this or not. We, we have something really special here at this church in, in, in many senses. But in one sense, we have this. We have uh, right now like five or six people who attend here who are either in the midst of getting uh, an advanced degree in Bible or theology or getting ready to get one. And so that's pretty rare. Um, and so one of the things that uh, we decided to do after talking to some folks is we're launching another Bible study, but this Bible study is not necessarily one that you will want to attend. You're welcome to. But uh, this is a next-level nerddom kind of class. And so we'll be teaching biblical Greek here um, at Christ Community Church here in a couple weeks. I'm going to wait till the Sunday after the Super Bowl, the weekend after the Super Bowl, to start that. But that's when we'll be doing it. If, and I don't know why you would, but if you have any interest in this, this is what you'll have to get. This is the textbook, Basics of Biblical Greek, 4th edition, uh, by William D. Mounts. Now, it's not my favorite Greek grammar, and I want to—I really want to give myself a swirly for even having a favorite Greek grammar, but anyway, it's not my favorite, but uh, the reason I pick it is because the, the professor who teaches at William Mounts, um, all his courses are online and on DVD and all the other kind of stuff, so you can watch the DVD and just follow along as you want, and there's a workbook that goes with it that I would recommend. There are Greek flashcards that go with it that I would recommend, so if you want to do it, and I had a 16-year-old kid last night ask me, can I come? And I'm like, uh, you're 16, and you want to, on a Saturday, you want to come? Okay, um, whatever, knock your socks off. Yeah, you're welcome. So that's, uh, we'll be doing that. Um, we're jumping into Luke 4, 31 through 44 this morning. Only 12 verses, not a lot there, 13 verses, so it's, just, it's not a lot there, but the, the subject matter is kind of dense, and so... I wanted to take that on, and, and so that's where we'll be going. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles and stuff, that's where we'll be this morning. Um, and one other thing uh, before I forget, um, prayers. We have a lot of people right now sick or facing surgery or have had surgery or have lost a loved one. So lots of people to be praying for. So keep your look at the bulletin. Keep it in front of you every day. It, um, if you're on Facebook, look on the closed Facebook group for prayer requests because we've got just a bunch of them. And I, I am um, one of those requesting prayers because I'll just let you know because I didn't know for sure till yesterday. Um, I'm finishing up my doctorate, my doctor of ministry in apologetics and preaching at Westminster. Um, but then I've also been accepted to a PhD program in New Testament, so I'll be doing both. So I'll be working on two doctorates at the, at the same time. And so I need lots and lots of prayer because it's going to be lots of early mornings and late nights and all that other kind of stuff. So yes, your pastor is a nerd if you hadn't figured that out yet. Um, we're talking about demons this morning. Satan and demons. Um, I do a podcast with my son, a movie podcast, and, and um, one of the listeners sent me a, a message via Twitter and said, you said something on your podcast. You said you 
believe in demons, but you don't believe in ghosts. Why is that? And so I explained it to them. I said, well, here's, here's the deal. Um, you know, as a Christian who believes the Bible, and I don't know where this guy was, was coming from, though we had a lot of discussion after this, I said, you know, this is what I believe. I believe this is what the Bible teaches. If you're a Christian and you die, you go to heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right. All right. You die, Christian, you go to heaven. If you're not a Christian, you go to a place called Hades. Hades is kind of a really nasty kind of place that's kind of a way station, and you're just kind of there until final judgment. And then Jesus judges the living and the dead, and that's how that breaks down. So there's no in-between. You die, you either go to heaven or you go to Hades. There's, you're not walking around your old living room, right? So I don't believe in ghosts. But I do believe in demons. He's like, how can you believe in demons? I said, well, because the Bible teaches it. And I said, you know, and I believe Scripture. And so I've got a definition there that's in your bulletin that comes from a really good website called gotquestions.org. If you ever have questions about the faith and, and stuff like that, you, and you're embarrassed to ask me or something, you can go there. And it's a great website. And it says that when Satan, who was once an angel, Lucifer, rebelled against God and fell from heaven, which is sometime after after Genesis 1, and sometime in Genesis 2, Genesis 3, and we don't know how long that was last. We don't have no idea how long Adam and Eve were, were in the Garden of Eden. We don't know. But sometime during that period, that's when it happened. And so he rebels, and one-third of the angels join him according to Revelation 12, uh, 3 through 4. And these fallen angels are known as demons. Now, here's the thing you got to remember C.S. Lewis's wise advice that there are you know, two equal but opposite errors that you can fall into with demons. One is not believing in them. The other is having like a fascination or obsession with them. And so that's not what I want to do this morning, but it is part of Scripture, so that's what I want to talk about. And, and I want to clear up a couple of things because we're looking at, in Luke, the NIV says that they were demon-possessed. A man was demon-possessed. Actually, in the Greek, it says he has a demon. Now, the, the, the difference with that is this. The Bible, uh, Wayne Grudem says this in his systematic uh, theology, and I think he's right. The Bible says basically that it's not just you're either possessed or you're demon-free. It's the level of demonic influence in your life. And all of us are demonically influenced in one way or the other. That may manifest itself in addiction. That may manifest itself in what you look on online. It, it, it can manifest itself in many ways, in anger and hatred, bigotry. It can manifest itself in ignorance, but we are all demonically influenced. But there is good news. And one other thing before we could jump into Luke. And I said, this is short. Here's the other thing you need to know about demons, because I get asked this all the time. Um, in one of my less stellar moments, and that's at my age becoming a pretty big photo book, um, I was in a Bible study in Charleston, West Virginia, back when I lived there many years ago. And we were talking about demons, and this uh, woman said, you know, we need to be careful about what we say so because the demons are listening. We need to be careful about what we think because the demons can, can read our minds. And 
I responded by laughing because I thought she was joking. Um, she wasn't. I'm an idiot. Anyway, I had to, you know, explain to them that, no, we're going to see this in a minute. Demons cannot read minds. Demons do not know the future. What I'm trying to get through is this, because there's this out there in pop culture so much. I don't care whether it's South Park or the movies or whatever. This idea that you have God and you have Satan and they're at war and they're equals. No, they are not. And we're going to see that here in a second. But I, this is the other question I always get, so I'm going to go ahead and get it out of the way. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? No. The answer to that is no. A, de- a, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed because if you are a Christian, a true Christian, you possess the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not going to dwell with a demon. That's not going to happen. Make sense? Clear? Sweet. All right, let's jump into it. Luke 4, 31 through 44. Let's go. Then he, that would be Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, actually in the Greek, sorry, I know I'm being a real geek here, but it's Sabbathine, which means that's plural. So it says, actually, he's teaching on the Sabbaths. He's teaching several Sabbaths in a row here. He taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Now, you're sitting there, if you're a Christian, you're going, Jesus' words had authority. Well, duh. But that's not what Luke is pointing out. If you were a first century rabbi, the way you would preach or teach is that actually the people would stand and the teacher would sit. I'm really in favor of bringing that back. but And so they would do that. And then when they would, they would open a scroll and they would read through it and then they would comment on it. But when they commented on it, they would say things like, well, according to Rabbi Gamaliel, this. According to Rabbi Hillel, this. They cited authorities. Jesus did not do that. And they'd never seen anybody do that. He just gets up and quotes the Bible and says, this is what it means. Probably won't surprise you. Jesus didn't need, like, references, right? I mean, he's just, he's just going. And they're, so that's what that, that means. They're amazed that he had authority, that he's just teaching. 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed or has a demon, an impure spirit. Now, why does Luke do that? Why does he say he's got a demon, an impure spirit? And you're looking at that and going, okay, Luke, you're being a little repetitive. We get it. Demons, impure spirit. But here's the problem. If you remember that Luke is writing to a largely non-Jewish audience, a Gentile audience. And in the Gentile world at that time, the greater Greco-Roman world, almost everyone believed in demons. But they didn't necessarily think demons were evil. They believed a demon could be good or bad. And so that's why Luke adds that on. This man has a demon, and it's an impure spirit. In other words, you Gentiles reading this, it's not a good demon. This is a bad one. So that's what he's doing there. Now, it says he cried out at the top of his voice, 34. Go away. That's not really accurate. I'm sorry. But what he says in the Greek actually is this. I'm going to make sure I don't spit on anybody. Ah! It's actually a Greek way of this guy just, he gets up, this man with the demon gets up and just roars at Jesus. And he screams. 
And then what he says is, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now, what he's doing there is this. This is how you know demons don't know everything. In the ancient world, they believed that if you knew someone's name, you could use it against them in a spiritual battle. The demon's about to find out that's not a good idea. Have you come to destroy us? Now notice the us. What's he talking about? There's only one demon here. In the Greek, it's a singular demon. This is not like the guy we'll get to later who has a legion of demons. This is one demon. He says, have you come to destroy us? What the demon is telling Jesus is there, if you've come for me, I'm taking this person with me. I'll kill him. Now he's about to find out he's not going to win any of this. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Now, why does Jesus do this? You notice this all the time. Jesus confronts a demon, and the demon says, You're the Son of God! You're the Son of God! You're the Son of God! And Jesus says, Shut up! Wouldn't you think that would be a good thing? Right? You get a pretty good reputation in Portsmouth, Ohio, if you cast out demons and go, You're holy! Jesus doesn't want any of that. And there are two reasons why. One, according to John 6, he was afraid. Remember that the, the politics right now are really explosive in first century Israel. Much more, I mean, I know we got a mess here, but that ain't nothing compared to what they were going through. There were armed revolts all the time. There were people walking through the streets of Jerusalem with little daggers. They called them sakari. And they would come up to people they thought were were playing around too closely with the Romans, and they'd come up and they'd shiv them real quick and turn around and walk away. And this was happening in the streets of Jerusalem. There's a lot of political upheaval, and the Jewish people are looking for the Messiah. And who they wanted the Messiah to be was like a, a Davidic-type person, a David, a warrior. Come lead us. Just a few hundred years before, the Jews had revolted against the Greeks, and the Maccabean family whipped up on the Greeks, and they got their independence. And then Rome comes in and conquers Israel, so the Jewish people are like, Come on, we whipped on people over there by the Mediterranean once before. We can do it again, and that will be the Messiah. Jesus doesn't want them to know that because he's not that kind of Messiah. It's not what he came to do. He came to fight a battle, but not against Rome, against Satan. And so he doesn't want these demons doing that. The second is this. He doesn't want a demon saying it. He does not want to be proclaimed God by a demon. Relationship matters matters. Now this I love. Now the NIV says, then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. That's why Luke puts that in there because the, the, the demon said, he destroy us. And he was threatening. And Jesus just tosses the demon out and the guy's fine. None of what the demon tried worked. Now what does that tell you about the power of Jesus Christ? Right? Now before we get going, here's something you need to understand. Because I've seen this. I've seen blog posts saying this. I've seen books saying this. Jesus, the exorcist. Jesus was not an exorcist. Exorcism is a rite, a ritual that you go through. And, and in the first century, they had professional Jewish exorcists. And you can read, there's a, there's a book called The Magical Papyri that you can read about what they would do. 
And so they had this elaborate ritual that they would go through. First, they would start praying and calling down holy names, Moses, Elijah, that kind of thing. And what they basically would do were asking heaven to help out. And so then after they would do that, then they would splash water on the person because they believed that demons did not like water. Interesting tie-in maybe to baptism. And then they'd have all the smoke come up, and then, and this is what I always loved. It, it wasn't often that I was laughing out loud in my seminary library, but this was funny. They then would take a stick and find the stinkiest thing around, like dog poop, and they'd take that and shove it up the possessed person's nose because they believed the smell would drive out the demon because, according to Jews, demons are really into aromatherapy. And they'd go through all of this thing to get rid of a demon. Does Jesus do that? Jesus just says, go, and they go. Jesus did not exercise demons. Jesus expelled demons. Because he's got that kind of power. This demon tries to go toe to toe with Jesus, challenging him in the synagogue. Ah! Tries to use his name to get power over him threatens the person that he's in. And Jesus says, get out. And he's gone. He's gone. Talk more about that in a minute. 36. All these people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Now, actually, I want to go back one thing. This is, just, this is just fun. It has nothing to do with anything. It's just fun. The NIV says that the demon threw the man down. Okay, that's possible. In the Greek, it's a little ambiguous, and it's 50-50. It's either the demon threw the man down, or, and this is the other possibility, I like this one. As a kid who grew up watching Hulk Hogan and, and WWF and stuff like that, it says, Jesus threw down. I'm like, I don't know if that's right, but I'm going with it. That's a bumper sticker right there. Jesus threw down. I like that. So Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. This is Peter. Now Simon's, you realize his name was Simon. Jesus called him Peter, gave him this. It was his nickname. And the name literally means the rock, though some Greek scholars actually think Jesus was saying rock head, which if you know about Peter... So Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. In this area, Capernaum, which is a seaside town. Some of you have been there. Ralph, you and I have been there. You know, it's in Capernaum, because of its elevation, where it's at, and at seaport, malaria was a serious problem. So in all likelihood, Simon's mother-in-law is suffering from malaria. And that's where the high fever is. And they asked Jesus... To help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever. Now it says rebuke. We don't use that word a lot, really. It really, the better term would be he denounced. He, he said, go away to the fever. And it left her. And she got up once and began to wait on them. And that it actually means uh, she got up and began to serve them. And, and the Greek word is where we get the term deacon from. To serve or to wait is deacon. 
At sunset, and the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Now, why sunset? If you know anything about Judaism, where's the Sabbath run? The Sabbath runs from Friday night at sunset to Saturday night at sunset. So he's been teaching on the Sabbath. They wait till the sun goes down. Then they start taking every single person they know. Whether they've got a demon or whether they got a hangnail, they're bringing them all to Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about this is he lays his hands on each. Jesus didn't need to do this, right? We see him heal people in the Gospels from afar. Your faith has made you well. You're fine. Why is he laying hands on them? It's interesting. No Jewish rabbi would do this. Why? You touch somebody with an open wound or, or, or they have some kind of hemorrhage or whatever. What happens? Unclean, unclean, unclean. <coughs> Jesus doesn't care. He walks up to them and he puts his hands on them. Why? I don't know. But I think I know. Okay. This is not the only time this happens. You think about it. Jesus takes from them and gives to them what he has. What happens on the cross? He takes our sins upon him, and then in turn, he takes his righteousness and gives it to his followers, which you need, by the way. If Jesus just paid for your sins, you're at neutral. Neutral does not get you into the presence of God. You have to be holy. How do you get holy? Can't do it on your own. Not even studying Greek will do it for you. It won't work. How do you get holy? Jesus goes, take my life. That's it. The end of time, as we know it, you can be judged by your own life or by Jesus' life. You choose. And so I think that's what's going on here. It's another exchange. The sickness, the demonic, I'll take all that on. You take what I have. I think that's what's going on. But I can't prove it, but I think that's what's going on. 41. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting. There's that word. I said, roar. You are the son of God. But he rebuked them. He would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? James warns us of this. The demons not only know Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of mankind, they say it. There aren't going to be any demons in heaven, folks. Saying, I believe in Jesus is not enough. It's not enough. What does Jesus himself say? If you loved me, you would keep my commands. Now you're sitting there going, Matt, are you saying I got works to get to heaven? I got, I, no, I thought it was faith. It is faith. But true faith always manifests itself in works. If you have truly come to faith and you have the Holy Spirit within you, you will want 
to love God and love people. You will just want to. This is why Paul says, because you've got all kinds of false teachers running around trying to get into the church, and Paul says, how do you know? Well, one of the things you do is you look to their fruits. You look at what they do. And that's how you know. And that's how you know. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. We don't know why he did this. Luke doesn't say he was praying. He often did. But... And the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Now, you'd do the same thing, right? You know? If you had a house guest who had this kind of power and could heal any disease and just kick demons out, you wouldn't want him to leave either. And so they're begging him, just stick around. But he says this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of all Judea. Now, the kingdom of God, we're going to get to this later. We're going to spend an entire sermon on the kingdom of God because it's that important. I can't get real deep into it today. It was funny when I was talking to uh, the president of the seminary I'll be um, attending yesterday on the phone. He said, what are you preaching on this week? And I said, Luke 4, 31 through 44. He goes, kingdom of God or demons? I said, demons. He said, okay. There's the only two things you can preach on that. He said, yeah, demons. Save kingdom of God for later. He said, yeah, smart. But the kingdom of God, in short, is this. It's the reign of God in an individual. When a person truly comes to faith and the Holy Spirit invades their life, and they start worshiping God and God only, and they start loving those people around them, especially the people they worship with and caring for them and doing all that kind of stuff, that's the kingdom of God. That's God breaking in to a sinful world and bringing some healing. That's the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, this is why I came. This is why I came. Now, what do we see? What can we take from all this? I'm not going to go on too much longer. Don't worry. I'm already sweating like a pig. So, Obviously, what you can see is that Jesus has extraordinary power over both the spiritual world and the physical world. I mean, do you understand the kind of power I'm talking about? Okay, I'm going to go all geeky again for a minute, but just stick with me. For example, when Jesus and the disciples are in the boat, and they're in the middle of a squall, it's a nasty storm, and the disciples are worried that they're, the boat's going to overturn. They, you know, they didn't know really how, how to swim very well, especially not in that kind of water, and they, they thought they were going to die. And Jesus is laying there taking a nap. And they wake him up and say, Master, will you do something? And he just kind of goes, oh, okay. And he looks at the storm. He says, stop. And literally, you can know, this is, again, another sales pitch for Greek. This is why it's good to know Greek. The Greek actually says the storm immediately stopped, and the water was immediately still. I want you to think about that for a second. You ever been in a boat? Try to stop a wave. I remember watching a little kid at the beach the first time. 
And the first time, realized you can get smacked in the face with a wave. And the kid turned around and tried to punch the wave. Went bad, bad, bad. Well, good luck with that. Jesus goes, still, still. Not a wave in sight. It's that kind of power. Power like you have never encountered. And that leads me to this. Every single one of you will face the demonic in your life. It will come. It will come in the form of death. It will come in the form of addiction. I, I, I'm fully aware. I used to work in the U.S. Attorney's Office. I'm fully aware that there is a pipeline from Dayton, Columbus, and Detroit, and so forth, where all this black tar hair and all this. I, I, I'm fully aware of that, but don't tell me Satan's not involved in it. So you will encounter it. And here's what you need to know. Number one, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. And in fact, you will come under more demonic attack the more faithful you are. My wife had a rough week last week, and she said, I just finally told her, I said, honey, look at what you're doing. You got, you're helping like 30,000, 40,000 women come to know the Bible. You got 1,000 people watching how to teach the Bible on Facebook. I said, you don't think Satan's noticed that? The more faithful you are, the more demonic influence and the more demonic attacks will happen. And here's what you need to know. You can do nothing about it. You do not have the power to do a darn thing about it. You can buy all the holy water you want. You can go get yourself an old priest and a young priest. You can buy the book of exorcism. You can do all that stuff you want. Won't work. Absolutely, positively will not work. Satan is older than anyone here, even dad. He is wiser than anyone here. He is craftier than anyone here. You can't take Satan on. And you don't have to. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. You don't have the power, but notice the power that Jesus Christ has. Christ has that power. The Bible does not say for some preacher to come over and do anything or anything when you're going to demise. It doesn't, it doesn't say any of that. What does it say? Scripture gives us two ways to battle Satan. Quote Scripture, which means you need to know Scripture, and pray. Jesus comes down off the mountain where he was transfigured. His disciples are trying to get rid of a demon, and they're saying, I, I, can't, I don't know what happened. We can't, we can't get rid of this demon. And Jesus says, this one only comes out by way of prayer. What's Jesus saying? 
quote scripture and prayer. What does that mean? It means only God can deal with the demonic, and only God has the power to deal with the demonic. So when the demonic comes, and it will come, when Satan comes, and he will come, it's not enough just to quote the t-shirt, not today, Satan. You quote the word of God, and then you get down on your knees, and you go to God. Because only God has that power. This is a spiritual battle, and it's the battle belongs to the Lord and the Lord alone. We'll get there, but the reason the disciples couldn't get rid of the demon is they were probably showing off. And God will not honor that. It is God's victory, not our own. That is why, as Charles Spurgeon said, we need to become addicted to prayer. I understand, fully understand, law enforcement makes a difference. Policies, public policies make a difference. But if you really want to see Satan driven out of this part of our world, it's going to be through prayer. So that only God gets the glory. Have you seen the movie The Exorcist? You can admit it. I have. It's okay. You can always lie to me and say you saw it on cable edited or something. Um, but in that movie, you see, that's actually based loosely on a true story. It was a little boy, not a little girl. And the writer, William Peter Blatty, was a, a committed Catholic. And he said he wrote the book and then the screenplay of The Exorcist because he said he wanted to write a sermon you couldn't fall asleep during. I think he succeeded. But that movie, it's a well-crafted movie. It has nothing to do with reality. In fact, that boy's exorcism actually went over in two different places, about 40 different priests, and took about a month. And the last time I checked, that boy, who's now a man, walked away from the faith. So what good did that do? It's a good movie, but the battle belongs to the Lord. So, when it comes, and it will, quote the word of God and pray to the one true God. He's the only one that can say, out demon and out. The only one who can do that. And don't worry about... What kind of prayer should I pray that? No, don't, don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. The Puritan Samuel Rutherford was right when he wrote, Tears have a tongue, a grammar, and a language that our Father knows. Don't even have to be eloquent. Just go to the Lord. Whether it's your marriage, your kids, grandkids, Whatever it is, you go to the Lord. You go to the Lord. I will, before I quit, give props to the old preacher here. I will quote him this one. 
he was absolutely right. I remember hearing him preach this many times. One of the things that gets dad really upset, just so you'll know, and he, he's grumpy anyway, so just so you know, is when you say something like, well, all we can do is pray. And dad, every time he goes, what do you mean all we can do is pray? You're making it sound like the last option. We have access to the throne room of God. All we can do is pray? The proper response is, we will keep praying. You do not have that power. I do not have that power. Christ has that power. We are in a spiritual battle, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? Let's quit. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We know that evil is out there. But because of your power and your love, that you've given us access to the throne and access to that power, we can go before you and ask you to do mighty works. We ask you today to do mighty works here in this church, in this county, in this area. We pray this in Jesus' holy, powerful name. Amen. All right, guys, have a great week. God bless. See ya. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.